Hello and welcome to BB on the Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode I chat to Chief Executive Officer of Brass Bands England, Kenny Crookston. Kenny looks ahead to the 2022 European Brass Band Festival as the prestigious event rapidly approaches. He discusses planning for the festival while facing the ongoing challenges of the pandemic and explains how this year's festival in Birmingham is taking shape. Kenny also looks back on his own banding career, from following in the footsteps of his brothers by joining Broxburn Band in West Lothian, to enjoying celebrated times with Whitburn under the direction of the likes of Philip McCann and Major Peter Parks. Never stuck for something to say, Kenny chats about how his big mouth, those are his words, led to him becoming involved in banding administration and management, a lengthy tenure as editor of British Bandsman magazine, and ultimately on the path to where he is today at Brass Bands England. But first, Kenny looks at preparations for the European Brass Band Festival. It's been a really interesting uh, 15 months or so since we were contacted by the European Brass Band Association with a proposal that we bring forward our, um, our European from 2024, which was going to be at the Sage in Gateshead, to uh, to 22, um, and on the grounds that they wanted a spectacular return from the COVID break. Um, and, and it's been a big learning process for everybody, I'm, I'm quite sure. Everybody involved in it has has gained and, and gained a lot and put a lot into this as well. It's been a super effort for our team and, uh, you know, the, 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 the BBE staff team have really put their backs in it. And Nigel Stevens, one of our trustees, um, is, he's the project manager for this. Nigel's got a fantastic uh, track record, the project, project management and business. And, it, and he's, the, the leadership that he's shown in this project has just been inspiring as well. But no, it's been brilliant, actually. And um, it's, it's at that point where we're, we're, we're now down to the, the small details of, of fixing the, the things that are actually going to happen minute to minute on the weekend. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's in a good place. Um, obviously, ticket sales have been a, a more challenging this time than they normally would be for a European event, but for very obvious reasons, uh, that continental visitors are um, obviously a bit more cautious under the well, everything that's going on at the moment. But uh, no, we're, we're very, very confident it's going to be a fantastic weekend. On tickets, Kenny, do you anticipate it's going to be more of a domestic audience this year for those obvious reasons? Well, we already know, Mark, that... that um, I mean, the last European in Birmingham was in 2007, and I was there um, covering it, doing your job, actually, at the time. Um, and it was fair to say that it was a very disappointing audience for that event. It was, it was a very fine event, actually. I mean, there was some fantastic playing went on that weekend, really memorable performances, um, and a brilliant victory by, by um, Willie Brook, actually. They were, they were great that weekend. But... The audience itself was very disappointing. Um, and I would have said my, my own kind of finger in the air survey that audience would have said it was even at that, it was mostly continental. The contest hadn't really connected with the British audience to a great degree at that particular time. Um, I'm delighted to say that the, the ticket sales to the UK have actually been better than we kind of bargained on. Um, of course, the big sticking point um, is that the continental um, visitors that would normally expect are having their own challenges this time. Um, so the UK audience were absolutely delighted with the, with, the, with the take up there. And, you know, there's still there's still a few tickets available. So anybody who's listening to this and still fancies one, there's, there's easy, easy, they're easily found through BBE and Symphony Hall. Usually, associations would have more time to prepare to host the European. Clearly, the pandemic has brought exceptional circumstances, with events being cancelled or moved around, and the Birmingham Festival has come about quite quickly in comparison. Just how much of a challenge has that provided for Brass Bands England? Um, well, it's, it's that old saying, isn't it? If you want something done, get a busy man to do it. But um, it's we, we've already been extremely busy with everything else that's gone on. Um, I've already mentioned the, the commitment of the staff team. Um, every single one of them that's involved in this has stepped up 
way beyond anybody's reasonable expectation to do this. There's been a lot of late nights involved, um, some exceptional late nights. I wanted traveling around you know, the country to go visit Birmingham and other places. Um, and, and a lot of you know, a lot of discussion as well about how we should do it. Um, a lot of back and forward talks with Eba about the format of the weekend and things like that. And uh, you know, it has been very, very intense from time to time. You know, even you know, you're out for a walk at the weekend and your phone rings and it's the president of the European Brass Band um, Association wanting to have a chat about whatever. It is a constant project. It really it never gets far from your mind. And there's there's about five or six years that are. I'd say at that level, we're, we're so focused on it that it has taken up a lot more time than you'd generally expect people to be working at. But but there's a lot of passion there as well. We want this to be a successful event. Um, we're very, very confident it's going to be a great European Championship. So there, there are some great examples of that event having happened in the past. And we're inspired by wanting to be as good or better than any of them. Looking across the contests this year, music by English composers form the set tests, and there's a special focus on Vaughan Williams, isn't there? Well, this was the most fortuitous um, thing when you think about it. We just uh, we haven't been racking our brains over what we were going to do in 2024 for a test piece, and then we discovered that actually we're being shifted to the um, 150th anniversary of one of England's greatest composers. Um, <laughs> And then the next thing we had a, a some communication where one of my favourite brass band composers of all time, and I'm sure he's one of yours as well, um, with Philip Wilby, and, and and Philip was particularly inspired himself, uh, and I could tell it was, it was a piece that he really wanted to write. Philip is is a you know a massive um, Vaughan Williams scholar. You know he's 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 got fantastic knowledge of everything that he's ever done. And um, to have that almost perfect storm um, happen, um, and, and it is just fortune as well. I mean, it's not, I'm not going to say it's good fortune because of the, the circumstances that got us here, but it's it's just fortune that's, that's dictated that. We've been very fortunate also with the, um, the support of the RVW Trust, the Ralph Vaughan Williams Trust, who have supported the, the commission as well financially. And we're really looking forward to meeting the, um, their representatives at the event. Actually, they're going to come and listen to the piece, um, to listen to all uh, the competing bands in the top section doing it. So we've, we have actually had a, a test uh, performance um, of Saints Triumphant, it's called. Um, it's a wonderful piece. You know, I, I heard one band playing it a few about a month ago. And uh, Philip was there, Philip Wilby was there, and we had Paul Hengmarsh for the European Brass Band Association Music um, Commission. And it's just a beautiful piece of music. And if you like your Philip Wilby, if you like a brass band playing a fantastic piece of music with a tune, come and listen to this. It's, it's, it's going to be one of the... I mean, personally, I think it's one of Philip's best pieces already. Um, and people who know, know a lot more about these things than I do are, are fully in agreement as well. So... Um, you know, it, it, we couldn't be couldn't be more happy with that. It could be spectacular as well, Mark. You know, it's you know how uh, one of the things I've spoken to Philip about because he used to work with us on the bandsman. Actually, he was the associate editor for a, a few years when I started. Philip always used to write about getting the shape of the test piece right, and it always seemed to build up to the fantastic conclusion. He never left the the audience kind of wondering what's going to happen next. You always knew when you were getting to the end of one of Philip's pieces. That climax was always there, and, and absolutely in spades in this one. The, the, the audience are going to absolutely love it. The European Championship, by its very nature, is an international event, and travel has been so challenging over the past couple of years, as we know, because of the pandemic. And we've spoken already about audiences. From a band perspective, there won't be a Belgian representative at this year's contest, its national contest didn't take place, but how are things looking from the perspective of the other banding nations that are due to be represented, Kenny? This was obviously something that really concerned us, especially around about Christmas time with, with that um, new Omicron virus uh, strain that, that appeared just around that time, just before Christmas, and we were, we were deeply concerned, I've got to say, at that time. Um, regardless of what the conditions were in the UK at the time, um, obviously, if you can't get um, 
overseas bands traveling to the European Brass Band Championships, then you don't really have a European Brass Band Championships. So it was absolutely paramount for us that before we really started jumping in with both feet in January, were to the, making the point of making final arrangements and really committing to a lot of financial um, elements of the event as well, we had to be 100% sure that we had an event to go with. And, um, to, you know, the, this is where the European Brass Band Association really did jump in and, and did, did, a, did a still in job on this. And... Um, made contact with every band just to make sure that they were on track with their own arrangement, but to be sure that they were going to be able to do things like rehearse. Um, and some of the bands had the challenges that were brought on by their government restrictions. Um, but we did get a commitment from, you know, every other band, every other nation and, and that you'd expect to be there, um, that they were um, going to be able to travel. Or, or if it was at all possible for them to travel to Birmingham, they would actually be there. So there was enough consensus that, yeah, this is going to make it more than viable. So, um, yeah, it's been a difficult time for everybody, Mark, but, but we're we're very satisfied that we've got a great event. Really sorry to see the Belgian band now there. Um, Belgium's made a fantastic contribution to the European over the years. It's not just not just Wally Brook. There's been you know a number of great Belgian performances over the years. And, it's, and of course, Wally Brook have been, they've won it three times, you know, uh, with some great bands as well, some great players in these bands, great great musical leadership as well for France Violet. Um, so it's really disappointing that the, the Belgian um, band won't be there this year. Um, just got to hope that things work out better for them the next time, but uh, I can assure you that we're still going to have um, enough great bands. They're all great bands that are there. Every one of them is going to be effectively a national champion, so it's, it's certainly enough to look forward to. Kenny, what about the European Youth Band? That's usually a fixture of the European Brass Band Festival, though not an inexpensive one. There is an EYBB this year, I think. Is BBE involved with that in any way? It has been a, a different um, approach taken to it this time, Mark. It is, you, you, you're right on the money there. With a, it's a very expensive project, the European Youth Brass Band. And... and when it's been staged in some nations, they have been fortunate enough to have the time and, and the, let's say, the government support to be able to do it at no real cost to the to the home organiser, whoever that may be, maybe in Belgium or Holland or Norway or wherever. Um, with the speed that we had to get this project together, that was an element that there was just absolutely no way we could commit to. Um, we, we We just couldn't see a way to being able to make the festival even viable if we had had to have gone down that road. Um, and and as, as I said, we didn't have the time or resource to be able to get the necessary funding for it or any confidence that we would have been able to get a government support for that element of it. So the European Brass Band Association were so keen to start to have it that they've um, they've managed to source other funding from a, a, a Norwegian um, supporter um, who are basically so they're still going to run it. They're going to run it. We'll include it in the parts of the festival. They'll, they'll play during during the weekend a few times. They're not going to be as heavily featured as they've been in some other years, um, but we are hopeful that we'll be able to give them enough of a stage to perform. Um, it's 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 a big it's a big difficult project that and and you know one of the things that speaking to some of my colleagues at Brass Bands England we experience going back to two thousand and seven and two thousand when it was previously in Birmingham and the Birmingham was two thousand was the very first time they held the European Youth Brass Band, um, but the experience that they had was that actually running that in itself took up so much of the resources that they weren't really able to give full attention to the to what you would call the main event, the core event. So it has taken a bit of the pressure off us. It's put a bit more pressure on EBA. But, um, you know, it's, it's a decision that was taken that that, that they wanted the, the European Youth Band still to be part of it. We're happy to accommodate it, but there was just absolutely no way that we could commit. And, and remember, we're, we're looking at our members' futures, our members' funds, or, you know, we're... we're generally working on public money. So there is a, a very high degree of responsibility on, on, on us to make sure that we don't um, spend that in the wrong way. 
Looking to the rest of the festival, the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain is involved with the band of Her Majesty's Royal Marines, there's the European Composers Competition and a very exciting concert in store from the Lewis Dowdswell Big Band and the Corey Band. That's quite a line-up, Kenny, and some tremendous variety too. Well, again, Mark, it's um, driven to make this as great a weekend. I mean, we want this to be memorable. And it, not just memorable for the point of view, oh, that was another good European Brass Band Championships. This is hopefully something that we can do to inspire a generation that's that's going to be watching it all over the world. You know, it's going to be live streamed uh, through World of Brass. It's going to be, it's um, you know, we're very hopeful that we're going to have great audiences at every event. So there's going to be, you know, we're really, it's a real showcase for the best of brass bands um, that we are, we had a, a, not quite a blank canvas, but um, we certainly had a bit of latitude to, to move things around and, you know, to to, to restructure the event um, based on the fact that if we wanted to have it here at that particular time, well, we had to have the, the, the Patton Symphony Hall. We could only do it on Saturday and Sunday. This is normally a Friday night. Saturday and then the youth youth contest on the Sunday event. Um, so we decided to put the youth contest more in the heart of the um, event. So we've got that on Saturday morning. So people will be coming in to listen to the youth contest as they're arriving rather than leaving. And, and it's a bit like after the, the Lord Mayor's show on the Sunday when it's been on. Um, so hopefully the, 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 the bands and the young musicians involved in that will get a, a more inspiring experience for that fact, um, but they, with contact from the National Youth Brass Band and the Royal Marines, both interested in, in, in doing something um, around the festival as well. So we thought, well, what's, what could be better than a, a nice wee festival prelude for those who are arriving on the Thursday? Um, so we've got Thursday night in the town hall. We've got a, a very um, large educational event going on during the day and Thursday with a lot of kids from the Birmingham Music Hub. Uh, so moving on to Friday, I mean, uh, we're in the town hall again. It's the European Composers Competition final. So three um, challenging works, I believe, um, and I'm sure they'll all be good in their own way. Um, and they'll be performed the Grimethorpe Colliery Band, conducted by Dave Thornton. And in the second half, the band's going to do a, a more kind of familiar Grimethorpe-style concert, so something that will appeal to the general public, um, I would hope, as well. Um, although they might, some of the people who just see the name Grimethorpe Collier might get a bit of a shock in the first half. <laughs> um, we've all experienced that before, haven't we? But, uh, but then after the Friday, we're into the main event but in Symphony Hall. These, these first two parts are in the town hall um, through availability. Symphony Hall on the Saturday and Sunday. Um, starting off with the youth contest and then the, the championship test piece, the Philip Wilby piece on the Saturday afternoon. Um, and on Sunday, we've got the challenge section. Um, we'll be playing the, a, a proper Vaughan Williams work, of course, the, the Variations for Brass Band, and its new and its new version um, that Philip Littlemore has so uh, studiously put together for it. And, um, and then on to what a lot of people actually in our, in our game see as the highlight of the year, the, the championship own choice, which is the, the part of the weekend that, never has a problem following the hall. Um, and we'll get a, I'm sure we'll get a number of fantastic new pieces, as well as some familiar ones in there. But they, um, yeah, the, the, the thinking outside the box part really came on the for the Sunday night part, which is the, the gala concert and results ceremony. And um, what do you do? You know, do we just put on another band concert? People have been listening to, you know, very, very good brass bands all weekend. You know, right from Thursday right through... Do we just put on another brass band concert or let's do something a wee bit different? And uh, I've, loved, I've loved the times I've heard um, Louis Dowdswell's band at, at Butlins and various other things I've done and you've seen them doing it on the internet. And, and you just, I've always thought, I'd love to see a collaboration, a proper collaboration between that and a really top brass band. So we've got, you know, you're not going to get a better brass band than Corey anywhere in the world. Um, and Corey and Louis Dowdswell and, and Phil Harper and Louis and Callum over there their ranger have been working studiously on this for a number of months now and uh i think it's going to be absolutely fantastic i'm really i'm probably looking forward to that more than anything else and at the end of all that we're going to have a big party in the foyer and louis band's going to play again 
So anybody wants to have a bit of singing and dancing in the bar after they've won or lost, or, or by that time they're not even interested in how they finished in the competition, um, it's there for them to do as well. And uh, Symphony Hall itself, I mean, it, it was always been a fabulous place to have a band event, but they've spent an absolute fortune on the on the foyer area now, and they've got a number of different spaces in there. It's just transformed, completely transformed, and it's it's going to be. It's, it's going to be absolutely jumping by the, by the end of Sunday night, I'm sure. Well, the 2022 European Brass Band Festival runs from April the 28th until May the 1st in Birmingham. The festival includes, as you've mentioned, the prelude from the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain and the Band of Her Majesty's Royal Marines. There's the European Composers Competition, the Youth Band Contest, the Championship and Challenge Contest, and that gala concert featuring the Louis Dowdswell Big Band and the Cory Band. It's shaping up to be quite the few days in Birmingham, and Kenny, we wish you well with that. More information is on the Brass Bands England website. Well, we'll return to our conversation in just a moment, but now, Kenny, it's time for your piece of the podcast. So tell me why you've chosen this piece. I'm not going to say it's timely, but but there is a there is a connection um, to the European Brass Band Championships here. This this was actually the piece that was the the set test piece the first time I played in the Europeans, which was coincidentally the very last time it was held in the Royal Albert Hall in 1982. Just for context, you know, we, our own choice that day was um, Triumphant Rhapsody by Gilbert Winter. It's hard to imagine a band rocking up to the European and playing that particular piece or anything from that era now. But um, well, some of us live in hope, but I don't think we'll ever see that again. But the test piece that day was um, everybody's favourite, Journey into Freedom by Eric Ball. And this was an absolutely fantastic performance given by Black Dyke Mills Band at the time, conducted by the one and only Major Peter Parks. So it made a big impression on me at the time. And even, I listened to it quite recently, and it's still got all the hallmarks of great band playing, whichever way you look at it.
The sound of Black Dyke Band performing Journey into Freedom, music by Eric Ball. That was a live recording in which the band was conducted by Major Peter Parks. It was the piece of the podcast as chosen by my guest today, Kenny Crookston. Kenny, let's go back in time. What's your brass band origin story? How did it all begin for you? I don't remember, Mark, is the answer to that. Is <laughs> um, that long ago? <laughs> it really is that long ago. Um, I um, There are pictures somewhere in the loft of me standing playing a, a, an old battered flugelhorn and I, I don't think I was even at school yet, looking at the looking at the edge yet. But somewhere around the age of about four or five, I was given an old bad flugel that my brother had had. Um, I've got two older brothers who are five years and ten years older than me. They both played. Uh, they're both really good players as well. Um, and they both just played in the local band and they played at school and whatever. Um, there was a lot of teaching going on in school in, in these days as well in central Scotland. And... Uh, I just kind of fell into it, to be honest with you. I just followed them, and, and yeah, it just felt like something I was going, to, I was always going to do. And uh, when I started, I was, you know, used to go into these junior solo contests and things like that, and realised I was quite good at them, and I won a few of them, and whatever. You know, some of the old trophies that they still use in the East of Scotland, I think I've still got my name on them from um, from a hundred years ago, or whenever it was. But um, no, I just kept doing that. Um, played with the local band for a couple of years. Actually, was playing in the championship section when I was ten. Um, believe it or not, um, I, I can't imagine that I was a great contributor to the band at that time. <laughs> but nevertheless, I, I was as good as the next guy, so I was in the chair, and uh, and he wasn't. So um, it, it was it was certainly an interesting learning experience. Uh, when I was about 10, 11, I went to Broxburn Band. Um, who at the time were actually one of the best bands in Scotland. Both my brothers were playing there as well. Um, and they were in solo seats. And I was, I was a wee guy in Third Corner, um, sitting beside a really old guy in Third Corner, who was, you know, he was a, a great inspiration as well. Um, and worked my way up through through Broxburn. I was playing Principal Cornet when I was about 15, 16. I was on soprano for a couple of years. And then um, a few things happened and I just decided that that wasn't for many longer, and within a few weeks, I ended up at Whitburn. Um, and Whitburn were by a long way that that particular time. This was nineteen eighty two, um, when I was eighteen, and uh, Whitburn were a long way ahead of the rest of Scotland at that point. The, the, the major had been there for about three years, and they had, they had really established them as as the top band in Scotland at the time. And uh, so, I spent the next twenty odd years or so playing with Whitburn. Um, probably sat in every seat in the cornet section at some particular point. Played flugel when I had to. Played horn for a few years. Um, wow! You know, if it had valves, I ended up playing it from time to time. Um, but I was, I, I just, you know, I, I would have done anything for the band to be honest with you at that time. And it, and it really was a big part of my life, especially when you're in your early twenties and you you know, we had, a, we had a really fine band. We, were, we played in all the big competitions and we did well in a lot of them as well. You know, we came close to winning them. I think we were described as the Colin Montgomery brass bands. You know, <laughs> we, were the, we were the best band that never won anything. They had the big titles. You know, we won, it, we won all this, everything in Scotland. We would win contests every year, but we never won at the Albert Hall. We never won the British Open. We never won the Europeans, but we've got more seconds and thirds than any other band that, 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 that hasn't won them. Um, so that was a bit frustrating, but 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 still fantastic and very very rewarding. And, and getting to work with, with amazing conductors like like the major and you know people who really inspired you. You know Philip McCann was involved with the band for a long time. You know what a difference you know he made to your, your outlook on your playing and that type of thing. But um, no, some 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 great experiences with what and some some fantastic uh, some fantastic memories as well. And um, so. Uh, there was a point about uh, when was it, two thousand and four. Um, I had been doing a wee bit of writing for various brass band publications, a wee bit for the bandsman before that um, brass band world, and for, more, more for four bars rest than anything else. And um, the bandsman editor job came up in two thousand and four, and I just thought, well, I'll go for that. I've got no, absolutely no chance of getting it, but I'll go for it. And lo and behold, I ended up getting it. So for the next fourteen years, I became the 
fourth longest serving editor of the world's oldest weekly music magazine. Um, and whenever anybody wants to make, make me feel old, they remind me of that statistic. So, um, and, and that, the rest is history, as I say. So much to cover in there. As you mentioned, you enjoyed that long association with Whitburn Band. It clearly formed a huge part of your musical life. Are you able to pick out any particular highlights from your time with Whitburn, whether it was on the contest platform, a concert, someone you worked with who really sticks in your mind? I think a lot of the social times were, were great, actually. And, it, and I, don't, I don't just mean, you know, the archetypal, let's go and get drunk after a contest type thing. I, I used to love the, the weekends in London, you know, the whole business of getting from central Scotland to London, you know, traveling overnight on a bus and stuff and just having a really good social time with the band. Always in the hope that you were going to go and do something great at the contest there. Um, and nearly always disappointed on the way back, but still having a great time doing it, you know. But the process, it, it, getting, a, getting a piece handed to you in June or July and looking at the Repiano Cornet part and going, God almighty, how am I going to be able to play this in October? in front of three or 4,000 people and um, doing it, you know, making yourself, going through the process of practicing that and getting it together with the band, making yourself a better player, the band becoming better, having gone through that process of playing something challenging, good challenging music. There's a lot of great pieces chosen at that time. Contest music was one of them, you know, ballet for band, um, a harmony music, Odin, English heritage, pieces like that, that really challenged you technically, personally, but challenged the band musically as well. And I think that process of getting it up from nothing to working on the stage at these big contests and performing it to a very high standard. Um, and often, you know, bringing the house down, that, that moment when you bring the house down at the, at the end of it, and just, it it's, it's an unbeatable feeling. I think anybody who's ever experienced it just would want to do it again. So I think, but you know, particular highlights. I mean, there was some Scottish Championship performances. You, you just walked off knowing, well, well, we've nailed, we've nailed that. Then you know, that's it. We've we've, we've won this one, um, and that happened a few times. We never won, never actually won it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the ones the ones where I just went right on the day. Um, there was a, there was a Men in Mountains. Eddie Gregson's Men in Mountains that we did once with the major. It was just a great performance from start to finish, and we just knew there was nobody was going to touch us that day, um, and and things like that just just leave you even thirty years later. It's still you can still feel that kind of tingle thinking about the the last pages we were playing it. And the, the majors majors arms used to look like they were about ten feet long. You know, it's just kind of bearing down on you, drawing that last bit of energy out of your you know you're breathing out the soles of your feet almost. You know, it was. Quite a quite a memorable experience that one, but you know there was there was so many good ones over the years. But uh, I think more than anything, though, just the process of getting a piece out, going through it, looking at it, and going, I can't play this, and I'll never play this in a million years. But actually being able to do it on a stage a few months later and do it pretty well, I think, is probably the most rewarding thing about it all. You've mentioned Major Peter Parks and Philip McCann. Are they the figures who helped to really drive the band to new heights? Oh, I think it's, I wouldn't just say one band. I mean, I think the major change, the whole landscape of banding in Scotland, there's no question about that. Before before he arrived here in the, in the late 70s, um, he'd been at Black Dyke for a few years before that, two or three years before that, and he'd been, of course, with the, with the Grandier Guards. Um, I think he changed the entire outlook of Scottish banding at that time. And if you look at the, you know, how, how bands in Scotland had performed in the, in the decades before that on national level, there were, they were, there was an occasional nice result for bands like Dan Millington and Bonas and Carradine and Lock Kelly. You know, and, you know, Keneal had done well and the co-op had done well further back into the 60s. But but really, though, that there was a bit of a malaise in terms of the real com competitive standards in Scotland were, were, were dropping, I'd say. Um, and then the major appeared and gave you belief, gave you the tools to be a better band, but gave you belief that you could actually challenge um, the top bands in England and Wales. And it was that 
um, I think that bled into other bands as well. Co-op got Howard Snell around the same time, just a few years later. I, I, I would be surprised if they weren't inspired by what they'd seen happening 20 miles along the road at Whitburn. Um, but bringing in Howard Snell made a massive difference to the co-op. Kirk and Tullock did it with Walter Hargreaves as well a few years later. You know, they made a massive difference to these these bands' outlooks, and I think they started to change more than anything else. And of course, you know, by the end of the eighties, early nineties, Whitburn and Co-op were extremely competitive. Co-op won the national a couple of times, you know, and and um, that would have seemed unimaginable twenty years earlier. I'm, I'm quite sure. So I think that you know, I'd go as far as saying that the major probably changed the outlook of Scottish banding as much as anybody has in the whole of its history. Your banding background, of course, isn't only related to your playing. You've also spent a great deal of time in the administration and management side. And these days, of course, your chief executive officer of Brass Bands England was getting involved in the management of banding or banding associations something you were always keen to pursue? I don't recall um, having an ambition to be doing anything like that, but it's that old thing, isn't it? If, if you see um, something that you, you you think can be done better um, and you've got something to say about it, I always seem to have something to say about things. I, I don't suppose that will really? surprise anybody. Um, but I, I, I still kind of hold by that mantra. If you've got something to say about it, you should really be prepared to step up and do something about it yourself. And um, I, I was always that person, I suppose. And uh, so I found myself getting involved with running in Whitburn when I was 19, 20, something like that. I'd only been in the band a couple of years. And um, so I guess my big mouth got me into it. And then you find yourself taking on more and more responsibility. That I think I was the band's youngest ever president when I was about 32 or something like that. And, um, you, you know, so you, you, you kind of... Got, Carrying quite a lot of responsibility at quite a, a relatively young age, but I had a lot of experience of banding and a lot of experience of Whitburn band at that time as well. So, um, so it's 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 not something I chose to do, but you just find yourself doing it. You know, there was circumstances that got me involved with SABA, the Scottish Brass Band Association, about twenty odd years ago as well. And um, again, it was like if you see, if you see something that you think needs something done about it, you know, get yourself involved in it and go and do. And I, and I think there's a lot of good work done around, around that time. That's that's laid the foundations for a lot of what Sabah's done since then as well. And I, I certainly wouldn't take all the credit for that by any means. There was there was a number of significant people like Alan McLaren, who who were you know really really inspiring actually at that time, um, and and really making change. But um, yeah, it, it's it's always been a I guess it's always been a thing of mine. But more than anything else, Mark, it's just my big mouth getting me into trouble. So, well, talking of that, you also enjoyed a distinguished tenure at this parish as editor of British Bandsmen, and for a period of time owned the magazine too. How do you look back on those years, Kenny? Enjoyable, but intense, maybe. Well, you'll be finding out more than anybody, Mark, how intense that can be. Um, having produced a magazine 600 weeks in a row um, or more, it's, uh, it, is, it does kind of grind you down after a while. And um, I think one of the pieces of advice I gave you when you took the job was to, to make sure you get a holiday every year. Um, you know, I should have listened to myself a bit more often in that <laughs> regard. But no, it, it, you know what? It was a fantastic experience for me i'll always be grateful for 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 that for being given that opportunity it was it was the salvation army that owned the magazine at the time when i when i took on the job i'll always be grateful for that and um it makes you think about things in a completely different way um i thought i knew everything about brass bands when i walked in on the first day i knew within half an hour that i didn't um and that you know learning about the publishing process and everything like that you can only do that working with good people and um that that for me was was the was the you know a, a really really challenging um first few months for me i mean i but i think the only way i managed to get through it was to commit myself to that and virtually nothing else just really completely focused on it for six months to a year or so and then then it starts to become a bit a wee bit more manageable but really, it was, it was a you know best part of fourteen years. It was a huge, huge personal commitment to it. But um, 
you know, at the same time, I, I only look back on it with pride. You know, there was there was a lot of great things that we did. I think you know we we did we did change a lot of things for the better. You know, I think brass the bar, the brass band and press in general probably changed during that time and became a bit more challenging. And the, the status quo wasn't a, wasn't acceptable or as acceptable as it had been in the past. So if I've played a role in, in improving things, then you know I would be I would be very proud of that. And and I think at the bands when we did do a lot of that. Not everybody liked it, of course, but you know, there's always going to be people who don't like change. Well, Kenny, as we approach the final moments of our chat today, how are you feeling about the weeks and months ahead then? Clearly You've got the European Brass Band Festival rapidly approaching now, but a sense of optimism, do you think, after these really, really tricky times of the past couple of years? Yeah, there's been so many ups and downs, actually. Um, I mean, it felt... At the start of the pandemic uh, a couple of years ago now, I mean, that, that, that was a very, very challenging time for everybody, you know. Um, and for, for Brass Bands England, I mean, it, it probably put us to the fore um, in a lot of people's thinking where, where the organisation had never been before. Um, and again, I, there was a lot of critics at the time as well. Um, but I think looking back on it, you know, every action that we took was was thoroughly responsible. And, and I'm sure most people would agree that. Um, but, you know, the, the resulting cancellation of a lot of big events and, you know, you've got to feel extremely sorry for let's say the organisers at Palanga, for instance, who have for a hell of a time getting their European Championship over the line. Um, and, and it's still not there yet. When you look at other things that could be going on in, in that part of the world, you know, you just never know where, where that stands. But um, you're certainly, certainly hopeful that that, that that can be achieved in the next couple of years. Um, but being thrust into doing the, the European a couple of years earlier has been a massive challenge for us. Um, well, I'd be glad when it's over. Uh, I, I don't know, actually. I, I, I've really enjoyed the process as well. It has been... Uh, it's, it's good to be challenged on something like this. And if you can do it in three years, why can you not do it in one and a half? Um, you know, when, when you're working with great people, though, and you get the chance to, you know, work with people like Philip Wilby and, and the like, you know, that that just step up and deliver something absolutely mind-blowingly fantastic. Um, to be part of that, and, and to be still part of that ongoing process, you know, it's like the anticipation is great, really, really enjoying it. Um, maybe I'll be a wee bit sad when it's all, all done, but uh, I'm certainly really, really excited about the whole, the whole weekend coming up. <laughs> That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thanks to Kenny Crookston and thank you to you for listening. The 2022 European Brass Band Festival runs from April the 28th until May the 1st in Birmingham. More information is available at the Brass Bands England website. That's bbe.org.uk. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsmen. It costs just £42.99 for one year. For the latest news and interviews, make sure you don't miss out. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Or just ask your smart speaker to play the BB On The Record podcast. Please leave a review if you can, the more the merrier. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now. (laughs) 